0: There was a tunnel ringed with white light and it was just so peaceful to float up there and to float in. And I was astounded by the immediate overwhelming feeling of love. I wasn't alone. And this enormous circular energy. And I had this experience of this is who I am, like not the body. This energy is who I am. And then I realized hadn't told my parents goodbye and they were there one on either side of my hospital bed. You have to stay. You have to come back. And I said, I I can't do it. And she said to me, I will never forget this. And it really changed the course of my life. She said to me, you go down deeper inside yourself than you have ever been. And you find the way to survive this moment.
1: Welcome to Soul Sisters Get Real, the show that goes deep in who we really are and why we are really here.
2: We're your hosts, Karen from the States
1: and Eleni from Australia.
2: We've had heartfelt conversations as Soul Sisters for years, and we're ready to share our truths, stories, and life lessons with you. And to inspire you to connect to your truest essence,
1: which resides deep within your soul. There'll be tears, there'll be laughter, and there'll be
2: no holding back. So sit back, relax, and let's get real about the things that truly matter. Hello, welcome to today's episode. We are going to be talking about what is heaven like? And the reason that we're doing this episode is my good friend Michelle is here with us today. And shortly after my son, Josh, passed away, I knew Michelle was in our field of hypnotist and hypnosis. And I didn't know much about her, but Michelle went out on a limb and contacted me and said, you know, I heard your son died and I want to tell you a little bit about what heaven is like. And it was so reassuring to me because I had no idea. And so she told me her story about going to heaven and it helped me feel so much more, I would say, it gave me a calmness. It gave me a peace that my son, Josh, who had passed away shortly before that, was okay. And that heaven was a beautiful place. So on that note, I am going to introduce Michelle to you. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Michelle. I'm so,
0: so happy to be here. I mean, the two of you are two of my favorite people in our hypnosis field, might I say, because you're both just so genuine and you go deeper than the just uh, social presence that so many people have. So I'm excited to really go deep together. Awesome. Let me,
2: tell, yeah, let me tell the um, audience a little bit about you. Michelle Rosenthal is a trauma recovery specialist, award-nominated author, award-winning blogger, and mental health advocate and speaker. She is a board-certified hypnotist with a specialty in trauma and PTSD, and she'll tell you more about that, a master neuro-linguistic programmer, a certified professional coach, and she is the author of a few books, Your Life After Trauma, Powerful Practices Mm -hmm. to Reclaim Your Identity and Heal Your PTSD, dynamic strategies that work. And I have heard a lot about her books, and I'm so excited for us to tell us about what she knows and what she knows about heaven. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about heaven? That's so broad. Holy cow. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, let's just just back up because um, before I say that, so I think it's important just to sort of explain why I would even reach out to you and say, "Let me tell you that," because that's a pretty bold claim. Yes. And uh, when I when I saw your post on social, of course, my heart went out to you, and I thought, "Oh, what a horrible thing to have to experience." And I, I'm not—I chose not to be a mom, but I know that if that had happened to my mother, I can imagine that she would want to know what, what's happened to the energy or the being that was my my child. And and so I was thinking, you know, I wonder if Karen understands or if she started to explore like what happens when we leave. And, and so just because I have had um, a near-death experience where I did go to the other side and then actually my mother <laughs> made me come back, um, I, I thought, well, let me just reach out and, and see if it would be useful for you to understand that it's really beautiful, it's really exciting and it's a really gorgeous place to be and it's full of love more than anything. Yeah. Um, um, yes, and so, here's so the crazy thing. why I reached out.
2: Yeah, and here's a crazy thing: I didn't at the time even know about near-death experiences. Like that's how close off and naive I was to that whole realm. And so it was it was awesome. So yeah, continue on.
0: Well, and I think I don't think like most people aren't walking around researching near-death experiences, right? Like, and and people don't talk about it. I know so. Backstory, I was 13. I had a horrific uh, trauma and and it involved a near-death experience. And when I came back, um, when I tried to tell people what had happened, where I'd gone, everybody told me I was hallucinating. Everybody told me I was imagining. I was completely shut down. There was no room for the spiritual aspect of what I was describing. It was... Nobody wanted to hear about it. So it was 1981. And you know what I did? I I was so, I felt so alone. There was no Google. So I went to the library to try to research like what happens when you leave your body. And I ended up with one book about astral projection and no books on near death experience. So I think it's like, it's not something that people usually talk about. And I guess that was also why I kind of wanted to reach out to you, but wasn't sure it would be appropriate. I didn't know how you would respond really.
1: So, Michelle, tell me about the near-death experience because I think that we need to know what happened. So what was happening for you at the time and what happened with the near-death experience?
0: Yeah. So I had an allergic reaction to a medication that I was given that um, essentially turned me into a full-body burn victim. And I was in a quarantine burn unit hospital room for weeks and weeks with a medical team, nobody had ever seen what was happening to me. So there was no protocol in 1981. Today, they immediately put you in a coma, wrap you up like a mummy and wait till it ends. But I was wide awake and, you know, with a team of doctors that were scrambling to try to figure out what do we do for this person. And um, all I can tell you is I got to a day where I could feel my body giving up. And I was, I was really happy. I'd been fighting to stay alive for a couple of weeks at that point. And, and I was tired. And so when I felt, this is going to sound weird and woo, but I'll just go there. But it was like, I could feel my life force, if you will, my energy just leaving, like it was going out through my fingertips and my toes, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the way other people feel. That's the way it felt to me. I could feel it happening. And, um, and, and the illness that I had, this allergic reaction has a high mortality rate. So wasn't outside the scope of my, what I'd been told that this would potentially could happen. Uh, But I was so relieved. I really wanted to die. At that point, I was in so much pain. There wasn't anything that they were giving me that was ameliorating the pain. And all day, every day, I was just screaming and screaming in agony. And so if you think about like just having a little burn or a little blister on your finger, and you put that through an entire body inside and out,
1: It was, like, impossible. It was an impossible situation. I I often think about that. I think, like, you know, sometimes you've got, like, a little cut and you think how how or a little burn. And, I mean, I've been burnt before by dropping tea on my leg and I'm thinking, I I remember thinking at the time I was in such excruciating pain, how do burns victims cope with the incredible pain? But then I, I read what actually happens is that their pain receptors actually get burnt off. And so the body doesn't actually, you know, feel the pain because, you know, it's protecting the whole, you know, survival mechanism. But with you, you actually were feeling the pain all over. Is that what you're saying?
0: Well, it's a yes and, Eleni, because it's true. Uh, So there's a difference between a burn like what you're talking about, which is – coming from the outside, if you will. And for me, my body couldn't metabolize the antibiotic that I'd been given. So I was burning from the inside out.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And um, so but what I would say is that the protocol for burn victims is to debride the skin. So I think you're right. Like the the skin that gets burned no longer has pain receptors. But I'll tell you what has pain receptors, all the skin underneath. Uh And that is raw Unfiltered, uncovered nerves. Oh my god!
1: My god! I get so, it. So when you, when you say you didn't want to be here, it was like, "Get me out of here!" I just cannot cope anymore.
0: I. It was that, and it was also I was so depleted. I couldn't eat. My mouth was full of blisters. My throat was full of blisters. My lips were full. Like there was, I was massively in distress, and um, and there was no way to care for me
1: mm. because I couldn't
0: be touched. So mm-hmm. it was every, every like, I, I tend to sh- stay away from the graphic nature of it all, because I think that that just nobody needs to really yeah. go in, yeah. into there. So if you don't mind, I'll just stick to, it, it got to a point where my body and my mind were done. And mm-hmm. so when I felt this process of death begin, I thought, oh, thank God. I, now I have an excuse to give up. And, and that was very comforting. I was 13. If you think about yourself at 13, we don't have coping mechanisms for this kind of massive trauma. Right. So, um, so it was comforting to be like, okay, my body's making this decision. Let's, let's go. I I can stop fighting to stay alive.
2: So it was almost like your soul knew at that time, like your soul knew, like I'm, I can't do this anymore. Like it's time.
0: And you know what's really interesting? And I don't know, you can rein me back in, but I have friends who are psychic mediums, and they talk about like we have five exit points throughout our life, and mm-hmm. you can choose them. And I chose. <laughs> I was like, I'm good. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, but, and you're both mothers. So if you it, like, here's what happened. So I went and I didn't say anything, I just let it happen. I was like, my parents will figure this out. There was a tunnel um, up and to the to the right, and it was ringed with white light. And I was like, "All right, let's go." And it was just so peaceful to float up there and to float in. And and I was astounded by the immediate, overwhelming feeling of love. I wasn't alone. It was like there were I don't know the the number ten thousand was just the number that was. I don't know given to me I don't know what was there were 10,000 it was like 10,000 souls and and this enormous circular energy and I felt so small as a human but then getting there all of a sudden I felt so big my energy like just felt so huge and I had this experience of this is who I am like not the body this energy is who i am and i'm connected to all this other stuff you have to understand i was raised a conservative jew we never had conversations about this i was completely unprepared for this experience and it didn't relate to any reference point that i would have had so um so i was really very i was very happy there and i didn't want to come back uh and 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 was you know I, I would like to stay there so i think elena that that sort of answers your question right yeah, like yeah. what happened that's that's what happened
1: that's what happened yeah. Did, was there anybody there that you recognized when you got there
0: no because i was 13
1: and i literally didn't know anybody who had died
2: mhm
0: yeah okay all. i i mean there might have been people there but i didn't i felt i didn't see who was there um, yeah. so that's one thing I felt them, but I couldn't see them, okay. but that's also maybe because, um, this is funny. I got there and I loved it and I was like, oh, oh I'm going to stay. And then I realized I hadn't told my parents goodbye and they were there. They were standing there on one on either side of my hospital bed. And, and I felt guilty that I was leaving without saying goodbye when they had been doing their best to keep me alive. So I I, I remember thinking, I'm just gonna float halfway back <clears throat> just so I can say goodbye. And so I came back down a little bit so I could very softly whisper three things. Thank you, I love you, I'm dying. And my plan was then to go go the rest of the way. And um my mother heard those three things and she she was not having any of it. And um so so she's the reason that I'm here today. So I always tease her that she's like given birth to me multiple times because <laughs> because she literally has saved my life twice. Yeah. So um so I came back because she demanded that I come back and and she was amazing in that moment that, that I said that to her. And, and the first thing she said to me was, I, I, you, you have to stay, you have to come back, you have to stay. Mm -hmm. And and I said, "I, I can't do it. And she, she said to me, I will never forget this. And it really changed the course of my life. She said to me, you go down deeper inside yourself than you have ever been and you find the way to survive this moment. Wow. You know, you're 13 years old and you have a great relationship with your mom. You do what she tells you to do. Wow. Yeah. But it yeah. was so powerful because um, that was like the, the, the strongest embedded command I'd ever had in my life. And I did go down deeper inside myself than I'd ever been. And, and, and I found the way to stay, but it was, you know, It's been very difficult because to come back from heaven or the universe or, you know, whatever anybody wants to call it, um, to come back from there and being this expansive, huge energy in this loving force field that has you held and to come back into this tiny little body and feel shut off from all of that caused a lot of problems. I'm not saying I shouldn't have come back. I'm just saying it was not easy.
2: Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I remember you telling me, um, of course I, I'm feeling emotional because I can imagine as a mom, like yeah. you would say to your child, like, figure it out. You don't get to leave me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's pretty much what she was saying. But I remember you saying to me um, about how the, it was just so beautiful. Like the colors were better and the sounds were amazing. And the singing of angels and that really reassured me
0: yeah yeah well and i think and there's there's great documentation for that now if you've ever read even alexander's book he talks about that too you know if you read now we have google and we have amazon and it's so easy and there are you know entire sites devoted to near-death experiences and people writing and corroborating for each other and for the rest of the world like here's what happens. And it's, it's yeah. pretty amazing. And you look at our culture and we're so afraid of dying. And the fact is that, you know, we miss the people who have left, but they are having an
2: incredible experience.
0: Yeah. absolutely. As you've discovered through your conversations
2: with Josh. Yes, absolutely. And I have said to Josh, like you little stinker, like you got the easy route here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And here you chose and and I have to like acknowledge you for this is you chose, Michelle, to come back and not take the easy route, because I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, right, this life here on Earth is not easy. No,
0: no, but I I wouldn't take any credit for that, Karen, because um, number one, my mother demanded it and she wasn't going to settle for anything less than my obedience as she shouldn't. I mean, you've given birth to this person. You're not going to just say, you know, go gently into this good night for all you poets out there. (laughs) And the other thing was, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know how tough life was going to be. I didn't know. I didn't know what trauma was. I didn't know how this was going to make my life a disaster. Like, had I known How bad my life was about to become. My trauma was nothing compared to the next thirty years of pain and suffering and anguish from PTSD. Mm -hmm. So, had had you told me that, I probably would have said, "No, I'm good. (laughs) Like the other side seems fine with me. Like I'll learn some lessons over there." So, so I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take credit for coming back.
1: Well, we're giving you credit. (laughs) (laughs) I I
0: appreciate it. I'll accept the love, but I just wasn't that brave. Not at 13. I just wasn't that
1: courageous. You were, because you did it. Your mom mom gave you the command, but you accepted the command. And, and, you know, your soul obviously said, no, not that exit point. That's not my exit point. Um, I've got another one, but that's not the one. So did that take away... You know, how did you – did you talk about your near-death experience when you got back? Did you tell people about it? How did you share this experience? I,
0: I tried. I tried.
1: Um, mm-hmm. and just with my, my
0: immediate family, I tried. But, um, but it didn't fit their model of the world. Mm-hmm. And in 1981, I really – there wasn't – there weren't communities that were formed around this model of the world that were mainstream. So when I tried to share it, I was told that God had saved me, which, oh, like the rage that that brought up in me, I can still feel to this day because I, it was such a fight for me to make that decision and to make that happen, um, mm-hmm. that, that to be told God did it, I just couldn't understand, I couldn't wrap my head around that. So, So I was told that God did it. I was told that I hallucinated the whole thing. I was told that I... You know, I imagined it, but you, you can't imagine something this specific that that like lines up with what everyone else is talking about now. Mm-hmm. That I didn't know back then. I didn't have access to to people back then, so um, so so it wasn't it was not. I stopped talking about it because mm-hmm. nobody would uh, accept and embrace the truth of it. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. It's just I didn't have anybody to to hold that space for me.
1: Okay. That would have been so difficult where well, you had such a profound experience and nobody would acknowledge that you had this profound experience.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know you know what? I think what I, you know, I've done a, a lot of work to heal and um, I think in retrospect, you tell me what you all think about this, as moms, um, I think it was easier to believe that I imagined it than to
2: believe I'd actually left. Sure. And not as much as a mom, but as a child, right? Because we believe that adults and you know, we respect that they know what they're talking about. And so as much as you knew it was truth, it was easier not to argue it.
0: Oh, there was no arguing. And I, and I think, I remember there was a, at the beginning of, of my hospital stay, I didn't have a diagnosis. Just my body was blistering up. And, uh, and I remember there was one night that my feet were so blistered and I, I needed to get into the bathroom and my mom insisted that I walk. I, how do I walk? Like My feet are full of blisters. But it was like really important to her that I not be bedridden. And, and we had this like altercation and she insisted that I walk across the room. And I, I, I loved her. I wanted to do what she wanted me to do. And so I literally got halfway across the room before it was so painful to try to walk on two feet full of blisters that I literally just had a breakdown. And she had to accept that things were getting worse than she thought they were going to get. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I mean. Like, I think it's hard as a, as a parent to be powerless to protect your child. And so I, I think you want the world to stay in um, the paradigm that you're used to. This is a little off topic, so sure, yeah. I'll bring myself back. But but I'm relating it to the spiritual aspect of of, of going to the other side. I think it would have been really terrifying for my mom to think that I had actually died, I mm. think it was easier for her, you know, to think yeah. that I imagined it, yeah. because was well, less dangerous, right? But and the that fact brings, is, I didn't imagine it,
2: <laughs> and, right? And 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 I had no one to 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 help me with any of that, which was hard, right? And and that brings me to you know the spiritual aspect for many people with uh, different religions and different beliefs is, you know, it, we don't want to accept it or many don't want to accept it. And so mm-hmm. it's pushing that away, pushing it away. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other point I wanted to make is this is exactly why after many years of all of the healing that you did, you became a trauma coach, because <laughs> it wasn't only the trauma of the near death experience. It was the trauma before that. Correct. That led up to all of the PTSD.
0: Well, it, it was, the, the whole illness itself was an enormous trauma. And and then, uh, and I think compounded by the NDE, because it, it's one thing to come out of a hospital room where you've been terrified for weeks on end and surrounded by adults who didn't know how to help you. As a kid, that was really, that compounded everything. My parents didn't know how to help me. No doctor knew what to do. Everyone kept looking to me like, The whole way I ended up in the hospital was that my parents and I were at my pediatrician's office and the doctor said, I don't know what's happening. You can either go home or you can go to the hospital and all the adults in the room looked at me. What do you wanna do? And I thought, if every adult in this room cannot make this decision, we'd better go to the hospital because like things are about to get really crazy. So I think think when you come out of these experiences, you have, something happened as a trauma survivor that is beyond the scope of what you and the people around you know how to handle. And then mm. the challenge is, what do you do with that? And, you know, we're we're all unique. So two people can go through the same thing. And I work with people who survive what I just described. Um, and, you know, I ended up with a horrible case of PTSD. And then I worked with a woman who was like in her 20s like just wanting to smooth out her experience, but she already knew who she was. She already had a life she was going back to. And we were just sort of softening the edges of her memories, not reconstructing an entire life or identity, which is, you know, what I ended up having to do.
1: Mm. So, Michelle, yeah. one question that I, I feel like some people in the audience will have is just going back to the whole heaven experience is how do you know for sure that you had that experience as opposed to like what your mum said, which is you imagined it? Can you just explain to those people, Well, how did you know for sure? How do you know you weren't imagining? How do you know you weren't hallucinating? What's your response to that?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I've asked myself
1: that question.
2: And
0: I have done a lot of research to corroborate where I was and what I experienced. And like I said earlier, I had no frame of reference for that. I couldn't imagine what everyone else right now is writing about, for example, online and in books and, and papers and things like that. So that's one thing. Um, another thing I really, because I was not supported in that experience, I really doubted it for, for a long time. And I started working with, people in the energy field, in the psychology field, in the spirituality field when I got into my 20s, because I never would want to be walking around saying, look, I had this experience if it wasn't true.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I worked with people who could help me verify that. And and so that was really useful because it taught me a lot about trusting my own self. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that answers what you're saying.
1: Yeah, so basically you you knew it, but you felt like you needed to be validated by other sources, other books, other people, and then you subsequently was.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is it started a a lifelong obsession with this. I mean, not only do I have um, friends who are psychic mediums, and so I talk to them about it, for example, uh, but also I read constantly Mm. about this. Because I'm just fascinated by it and fascinated by how close it can be. That's not really the right language. But it's just not that far away. You know, no. that realm is like there's a, a medium that I really that I that I love following and, and she describes it as the difference between where we are and the other side is as thin as a piece of paper. Like yeah. that thin. It's yeah. it's really just that thin. And, and I think that's exciting to think about. It, it's not
1: like some big journey, yeah. for lack of a better
0: yeah. word. It's right
1: here. It's just a, it's a different frequency. It's right here. Personally, that was I
0: had. That's the word that I wanted to use. I didn't know yeah. that would
1: translate, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. But uh, personally, I've been um, in the other realm uh, through plant medicine, and... Um, from my experience, there is no doubt, like there's absolutely no doubt because the feeling of love is so overpowering that it's yeah. it, it's not comparable to anything on earth, even for the love that you hold for your child. It's actually not comparable, and that's really hard to imagine from a human perspective because, like, what greater love is there than loving a child? But the love yeah. is so So incredible over there that you just know that that is a different realm and that's the realm that we're all going to be heading to when we decide to exit at at our exit Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating to hear. Because my trauma was an allergic reaction to ingesting something that was supposed to be safe for me, I grew into an adult who, like, won't touch anything. You know, like, I've never done, like, even pot because I'm so terrified of what might happen. So plant medicine is so outside the scope of of my comfort zone. Um, So it's really, I've not experienced it, and that's very interesting to hear.
1: Yeah, but with your experience as a trauma specialist, and you've spoken to many people that you said have had NDEs, was there any experience that that they've spoken to you about that wasn't aligned with your own experience or... um, so what are all the factors that you basically, what is heaven like? Let's just do a summary of it. What is heaven like?
0: You know, I think, I don't think it's a big list, Delaney, really. I think heaven is like love, the most intense love we've ever felt and an energy. Um, I did this incredible, one of the people that I worked with um, not that long ago, this is like maybe less than 10 years ago just to keep exploring like what happened and, and, and what I experienced and stuff. And, and I was, I, have you ever done transformational breath? Breath work? Yeah. yeah, so you know how powerful that is with the music and all this. Mm-hmm. And um, when I came out of a kind of, tra- I'm, I'm not saying I went to the other side, I'm saying like when I came out of the trance that that put you in, Um, I I got the very distinct message, not from myself, but from like whatever was channeling to me, um, I am held Mm -hmm. and that is what I would describe heaven as feeling Mm -hmm. that love just I'm held, I'm held because that's sort of what it felt like. Like I was just held in this energetic field that I had never heard of before. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I, I don't. At 13, I wouldn't have described it as an energetic field, but maybe I would have. Maybe I would have because I could feel it all around me and I felt like it was holding me. And I felt like there were so many of us there. So um so, yeah. so I I don't know, but cool. I, you, answered saying, it. So. you
1: answered it. You answered it. It's love. It's love and it's been <laughs> held.
0: It's hard because every question you ask me, it's like I flip back and I'm not present. I am not mean I'm flipping back there. I'm flipping into that associated memory. And then I find I'm losing the thread of what you asked me because I'm like flipping into that anchored state. So I apologize Mm -hmm. for that.
2: And I have to say that the, the mom of someone that has lost a child to hear that you would describe it as love and being held is again, like, it just that warms my heart to know that my baby, right, my first baby, my child yeah. Yeah. is in such a beautiful, mm. wonderful space. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Because even just hearing it again, it, it makes it brings tears to me. And it makes me very sad. And yet it's that happy sad, right? That, that just knowing uh, that it is so like, he's so good right? He's so and, good.
1: He, and he's held. And he is actually yeah. held. You know, where he is, he's held. And so did this take away your um, fear of, because, you know, with our society and the way that we've been raised and um, our belief systems, there's such a massive programming of a fear of death, which there never yeah. used to be in ancient times because they used to honour the transition process. You know, it would mm-hmm. be ridiculous in ancient times to fear death because, it's like a beautiful transition process to the, to the afterlife. So did that take away your fear?
0: Completely. 100%.
1: It's, that's such a good question. Yes. Yes. I'm
0: so at peace and, um, it's just so, it's funny because 10 years ago I had sepsis. So, and this is what I mean when my mother saved my life twice, because, um, because I, I was unconscious by the time i she got me to the hospital and and they told me later, we almost lost you on the table and and i i didn't didn't matter to me because I know where I'm going, so if you lose me now or you lose me later, I know how amazing it's going to be when I'm set free and yeah. and that's that's comforting, you know, and that's also kind of you know, Karen, why I wanted to tell you because I, I, I think when we, and Eleni, this speaks to what you were saying, like our culture fears death so much. and And we don't, I think it would be different if we all understood what we really fear is the suffering of death and the loss of that relationship because death itself is really easy and peaceful. And
1: yeah, so it's about us. So that's, that's exactly right. So when we're actually, um, you know, when we're really distressed and sad and we're grieving when somebody passes, it's really about our loss because yeah. they're fine. It's really about us. <laughs> the thing is, there is no actual loss because we're going to be reunited, but there is a physical presence that is missed. So no matter what, the human, the human is missing this physical presence because at that moment, that you want to hug the, your loved one, you know, you will end up being reunited. But now you have this human need to hug someone and they're not there. And that's what's actually, that's the part that's really hard for us humans.
0: And, and Karen, wouldn't you say that you don't have to wait that long to be reunited? If you open yourself, which is yeah. the process you've gone through in the past couple of years, if you open yourself, to the connection. And, and, you know, in so many of the mediumship books that I've read, they talk about how grief lowers your frequency. You really have got to move your grief out of the way so that you can rise up far enough for the, for the those who've passed to reach down low enough for the frequencies to meet. And when you do that, which you are doing regularly, then you realize we don't have to wait
2: until we die to reconnect with the people Mm -hmm. that we love. Yes, exactly. And that's when I went to Europe or went to Egypt. And Josh told me when I was on the uh, top of the boat in the Nile on the river cruise, and he told me to, to put his ashes in the Nile and sink my sadness. And it was a turning point for me for sure. And after that, the connection did get deeper because that for whatever reason that was right, that was my release of that grief feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very interesting because we, you were talking a bit about, you know, I know before Josh died, I, I would, I would have the question, like what, what happens? Like, will I see my grandma? Will my be my, my grandma be my grandma when I get to the other side or when I get to heaven? And will my brother be my brother? And yet what I've learned having the connection with Josh and as I've looked more into this is that it doesn't matter cuz we're all souls so it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're a grandpa or a grandma or a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad because we're still connected as souls and that to me is also so reassuring so we can have that relationship with them as a soul because the veil is so thin and mm-hmm. it's about continuing the same relationship we had here on this earth with them and you can't physically feel them but you can get messages and you can have that relationship yeah, yeah,
0: and I think that's that's so right, and, and I'm sure you're you're familiar with um, Brian Weiss and his work and his book "Many Lives, Many Masters." Right, that's the point. It's like we're not always in the same human relationship, but our souls are—we travel in groups, right?
1: Yeah,
0: so, yeah. So and, and I've
1: also done the same thing with you know bringing my father to me. Uh, so um, when mm-hmm. I call him in, because sometimes I just want to feel him, and I can feel yeah. this overwhelming love that just envelops me. And um, when he first passed at the beginning, like I really, really craved and missed the physical touch. That's what I really craved and missed. And he gave me that in my dreams. So I actually did get that in my dreams. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like he knew what I needed. Like I really craved that physical. And then like he came to me in my dreams and I just held on and held on and held on and held on until he had to go. So we are still you're absolutely right, Michelle, you know, in terms of we don't have to wait until until we pass to be reunited. We can move through the trauma, move through the grief, you know, um sit there in gratitude for the relationships that we did have and, and bring them in. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and to always remember, you know, from a grief perspective, the more you grieve, you grieve proportionate to how much you loved. So if you loved greatly, you're going to grieve greatly. And and to not be afraid of that and not be embarrassed or ashamed of that. Go into that grief, let it be as big as it wants to be, and then start figuring out how to
1: let it go. Beautiful. I love this conversation. It's so beautiful and so comforting and we're so grateful. But before you go, we do have a question that we asked all our guests at the very end of every episode. Oh, how fun, a surprise. (laughs) Yay. And so (laughs) our our question is because this, this series, this podcast series is called Soul Sisters Get Real. So what does it mean to you to get real? Oh,
0: it means no pretensions, no pretending. It means to let go of what, who you think you should be and to let come through who you really are without trying. I feel like so often we have these ideas in our head of who we're supposed to be. And, and especially as trauma survivors, we try to hide so much of who we really are because we're ashamed or, um, we feel so less than as survivors. Uh, and, and so I feel like getting real would be a let go of the mask that you put on so that you can project to the world what you think they want to see so that you'll be accepted for who you are, even though that's not truly who you are. And getting real would be, you know, I got to a point in my PTSD process where it was like, this is just the ugly of who I am. And that has to be okay because I was really crazy for quite some time and, and taking the mask off and just giving myself permission to be real was part of my healing process. And, and so that's what it is to me, Eleni is to just stop trying to be who you think you're supposed to be and just be who you feel you are, knowing that that can change in any moment.
1: I love that. I love that. I love that, and how you said this is the ugly of who I am. Um, really, what I was thinking when you said that was the ugly of who you are is the beauty of who you are. I mean, and and the ugly of who you are is way more beautiful than the fake of who you are. So the ugly of <laughs> who you are, so the ugly of who you are is actually true beauty.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it looked beautiful at that point. But, um, you know, a lot of pieces of art look really ugly until the final product. So, um, in, in that sense, I, I think you're right. The journey is beautiful. And I think sometimes you have to really give yourself permission to be crazy or ugly or unacceptable or whatever it is to be able to find what's below that. Because that's just the distortion of whatever's mm. happened to you and your response to it and your limited capability to understand process or hold what you've experienced but if you allow yourself to do that to, to just go into the ugly or what it is that you don't like um then you kind of claw your way out and and what emerges is is something really fantastic
2: Yes, so that's absolutely the part to me yeah I love that and on that note we definitely get to have your contact information on the bottom so it will be below the podcast so if anyone needs wants to reach you about trauma or near-death experiences or uh, I know you're more than open correct oh yeah. absolutely absolutely I, I feel you know. For
0: a long time after my trauma, I asked that stupid two-word question that we all get so stuck in. Why me? Why me? Why me? And there's no good answer. And then after my trauma recovery or towards the end, I started to ask a different two-word question. And it's funny what a difference two words can make because I switched the question to from why me to what now? Mm, What now? Beautiful. what now? And I started to understand that we don't have like one of the, um, after my trauma, my mother gave me the book by Harold Kushner, why bad things happen to good people. And, you know, as an adolescent, you're, you know, you're, you're, you can be a little volatile, but as an adolescent trauma survivor, you can be really off the wall sometimes. And I remember throwing the book across the room. I was just so beside myself with frustration over why, bad things like how can you even talk about this how can you even try to explain this away it was so frustrating to me but I understood later I don't need to know why me Mm -hmm. I just need to trust that that happened for a reason and I may never know the reason but if I decide what now Mm -hmm. well what now what now it became my mission to help other people heal faster than I did because to lose almost 30 years of your life to a wholly treatable condition, simply because there was no language around it and nobody recognized what was wrong, is crazy. So, um, so I, I think in, in that space, then um, all the work that I do at mytraumacoach.com and my books and everything is really geared toward spreading the word that you can change and you can choose how you change. Trauma is not what defines you you define you and that that's really that that's really I think the biggest message of all of all of our traumas is you get to choose some of us yeah. take a little longer to learn
2: that lesson so powerful thank you for sharing that Thank you michelle
0: Thank that's you both this has been so much fun thank you so much I just I love what you're doing with the podcast it's such a great outlet and And Elena, you know, you talk about being real. How do you all define it? Because I think this conversation is the kind of real that your title
1: really evokes. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is about being vulnerable. It is about showing all of us, not just the parts that we want to show the world. So I just want to reiterate everything that you said. And I totally agree with everything that you said and we're so appreciative of you coming on today so thank you so much michelle it's been an absolute pleasure to be in your presence today and to hear your wisdom and your guidance and to hear about you know heaven is here on earth and um it's it's a different frequency and we can reach that frequency through a knee-death experience through plant medicine or just by really moving into our heart in a really big way and so, yeah, thank you so much. Yes, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. It's been such a pleasure. And, you know, Eleni, in closing, you know, what you just said is it made me think, you know, what you just said about how we can reach that. Like, what if we didn't call it heaven? What mm. if it wasn't attached to heaven or anything? What if it was just one frequency versus another? Mm-hmm. And we all have the capability to change our frequency. We just have to learn how. And maybe that's the next evolution of, you know, the spiritual revolution that's been happening for the past 30 or 40 years, you know? So yeah. so I love what you just said, because I think that makes it a little less um, far away in the language and what would happen if we change the paradigm to it's just right here? It's right here, it's like, right. Right. right?
2: Yep. Yeah. Awesome.
0: All right. Something to think about. <laughs> yes. Thank you
2: so much. Yes, leaving us with something to think about. Thank you so much for being yes. with us. Thank um, you. Mwah. Thanks for watching. We hope you loved it, and if you did, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. And remember, always connect to your truest essence and choose love. We'll see you next time.